Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 265. In searching for that just right first cruise, you followed all the rules. You've researched cruise lines, examined possible itineraries, and read all you can on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. And now that you've booked your ship, selected a stateroom, and picked the right itinerary for you, you might be wondering, what's next? You'd be surprised at how many factors remain to be considered, such as packing, getting to the ship, and really your life on board the cruise ship. This week, I'm sharing some general first-time cruise tips that will help you get started in planning your cruise and set you up for a stress-free, fun-filled start to your first-ever vacation at sea. Here we go. After spending days, hours, months, who knows how long, picking that perfect Royal Caribbean cruise, you've got the ship booked, the right stateroom, the right itinerary for you, and now you might be wondering... Now what? <laughs> so now what's next? Now that you have your first Royal Caribbean cruise booked, and quite frankly, there's a lot you can do. But on this episode of the podcast, I wanted to talk about and share some first-time cruise tips with folks that may be looking to go on their first Royal Caribbean cruise. This isn't necessarily an end-all, be-all of all advice you can get for a first-time cruiser, but I think it's going to basically be a clearinghouse of really important things to understand when planning your first Royal Caribbean cruise because there's so much that goes into it and hopefully this will maybe be just a jumping off point for somebody who is planning their first cruise and really once you have it booked in terms of which reservation you're going to go with and the sailing and the itinerary, now you can start really planning for that big day when you're going to arrive, even before that quite frankly, but your first Royal Caribbean cruise. After you book your first Royal Caribbean cruise, one of the things I recommend doing sooner than later, in fact, I would make this like your number one thing to do after you book your cruise and potentially maybe after you book your airfare to get to your cruise if that's something you're looking to do, but definitely gather your documentation. Look at what you're going to need to actually go on the cruise. Now, what we're really talking about here is your government-issued identification in order to get on the cruise. In order to get on a Royal Caribbean cruise, you're going to need two things primarily. Your set sail pass, which you'll be able to print when you get closer to your cruise. That's easy. You can just obviously print that out. Uh, in the weeks leading up to your cruise, but you're also going to need to be able to prove your identification. And depending on which country you live in, there's going to be different rules about what you need to bring uh, in order to prove your identification. So our first tip is if you're a resident of the United States, and this goes obviously for every other country that you're going to need to do this anyway, but if you're a resident of the U.S., while you can cruise potentially with a birth certificate and state-issued ID, get a passport. I know it costs more money. I know it's kind of a hassle, but get yourself a passport It is a fantastic investment in your travel future. It makes traveling a whole lot simpler. And if there's ever an emergency, boy, does having a passport really pay off. So definitely get a passport. And if you already have a passport, check the expiration date. Make sure it's not going to expire between now and your cruise date. And also keep in mind that some countries like Cuba require your passport not to expire within six months of travel. So like if you're going on a cruise to Cuba on January 1st and your passport expires in March, That's less than six months. You're going to need to renew it before then. So do all those kinds of things. Next up is packing. And this is, I think, a topic that gives a lot of people anxiety more so than perhaps any other thing other than actually booking the right sailing or whatnot and making you know sure they're on the right cruise for you. But packing is one of those things that can be, frankly, overwhelming for a lot of first-time cruisers because there's just so much to consider and you're worried about not having the right stuff, overpacking, underpacking, and everything else in between. Now, I'll also refer you to episode 188 of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast because we talked about packing in depth about how to pack for a cruise. But I think when you're talking about packing, you really need to consider two categories, really. You've got what you're packing, 
in your carry-on luggage versus the luggage that you're going to have checked, just like an airplane, right? What are you going to have with you? What are you going to have that's going to be delivered later on? And this is really a important concept for cruising because when you get to your cruise ship on embarkation day, you're going to give some of your luggage to the porters who are then going to check it, and it'll be delivered to your stateroom later on in the day. You also have the option of carrying on certain luggage. These are you know slight bags that you can bring on with you, and obviously this gives you access to whatever's in that bag between as soon as you get on board the ship uh, for the rest of the cruise, um, but also you have to carry all that. So obviously you, know, you don't want to bring all your luggage in your carry-on because then you'll be carrying quite a bit. It'll be quite a hassle, and you know, considering staterooms don't open until a certain time, it may not really be worthwhile. Forget even that. I just don't want to carry my own luggage all the way around. There's a lot of lugging around. Let someone else deal with all that stuff. You know, you should begin your vacation with the least amount of stress and or physical <laughs> labor required. So I like to give the porters as much as I can. But it is important that you keep certain things with you, such as your ID, documentation, your wallets, bathing suits, cameras, electronics, or electronics that can break easily, medication, your sandals, sunscreen, even a change of clothes and toiletries are really important. These are things you want to keep with you because you may need them between when you go to check in for your cruise and when your luggage actually arrives. On your first day, the time at which your luggage will arrive that you've checked will vary considerably. I mean, it's just it's all over the place. It could be as early as the early part of the afternoon and as late, quite frankly, as the evening. You never know. But you want to have at least the basics with you. I think a lot of folks might tell you, oh, you should have like even like your first night's dinner change of clothing with you. You certainly can. I mean, it's someone who I I generally don't. And maybe this is because I usually do late dining, which is about 8 o'clock. And, you know, by that point, if I don't have my luggage, there's a bigger problem than, you know, I'm not having my my shirt with me. But I'll tell you that you should have what you're going to need for that most of the afternoon. And a great tip is, you know, packing your bathing suits because on embarkation day, a lot of times the pools are, uh, you know, empty because a lot of people don't have their bathing suits. They put all their bathing suits in their checked luggage and so they don't have access to it. And for kids especially, boy, being able to take advantage of the pool on embarkation day is a great way to start the cruise. So make sure you start to look at, okay, this is what I want to pack to have with me and this is what I want to have and I'll, you know, it'll be delivered to the stateroom a little bit later on in the first day. With an idea of, well, you know, you obviously can't have everything with you to do carry-on. Some people do that, and it's a mistake. I mean, you're just, why should you be lugging all that stuff around? You just need the basics, you know, kind of, I almost say, for your carry-on luggage, I say it should be like a backpack-sized item that you can easily bring with you. That's not going to be a hindrance. It's not going to be like, you know, bringing, lugging a rock up a hill kind of situation. You want this to be easy for you. So, you know, same kind of rules almost as if it were, if you were on an airplane, right? You don't want to bring a whole lot of stuff with you. You just need the basics in order to keep you going for a little bit. And I think that same applies for a carry-on bag for your cruise. Now, in terms of packing, also dress code. You know, we talk a lot about on the podcast and on realcommandblog.com about dress codes, but you need to be aware of them. Uh, a couple of tips about that. Number one, look at a past cruise compass for your upcoming sailing. So if you're going on Oasis of the Sea seven nights, Go to royalcoreanblog.com, go to our cruise compass section, look for a past cruise compass for an Oasis of the Seas sailing, of which we have many, and you'll be able to find exactly how many formal nights there are versus how many casual nights and pack accordingly. And again, we have plenty more content on the blog about dress codes, what they mean. Uh, But of course, A, don't freak out about it. There's not nearly as formal as the phrase formal night might infer. And second... You know, you just want to make sure you have the right thing. Some people want to be able to dress up for things like if they have 60s night or the white hot party or other events like that. And you want to be prepared for it. 
this is one of the best ways and quite frankly the only way that I'm aware of in order to be able to plan for it. So that's really important. Uh, but otherwise, you know, the only thing for packing would really be, you know, what you want in your stateroom. You know, uh, a, a common things you might want to pack for your stateroom would be a USB hub. Don't bring a power strip. These days, Royal Caribbean is really stringent about bringing power strips, especially ones that have a surge protector on them. So just to make it simpler on yourselves, just get a USB hub. And the reason is because, quite frankly, what are we plugging in these days in our room, right? Everything that uses a USB charger anyway, right? It's, it's a camera. It's an iPhone. It's a, even laptops can be charged via this way now. It's a whole lot simpler. Uh, just You can buy a lot of inexpensive ones on Amazon. They work really, really well, and I think it's a really good idea. But you also want to you know, look for any other cabin amenities that might be of interest to you. So people get those magnetic hooks, people to add more storage options for you. You have the possibility of maybe bringing a DVD player if you really are interested in something like that. A travel alarm, clock. These are all things that you know obviously are going to vary from person to person on what's personal preference, but these are things you want to look at. Now, in terms of embarkation day, getting on board the ship, your cruise is here. Of course, one of the things I always recommend is always arrive to your cruise port at least a day before your cruise. So if your cruise is supposed to leave on a Sunday, get there on Saturday or even earlier than that. Start your vacation earlier, which is always a nice perk. And B, it allows you to guard against travel delays, you know, flight delays, flight cancellations, uh, flat tires, things that are going to get in the way of you getting to your cruise on time. So just an easy way to avoid a lot of travel stress. So Get to there early. Now, when he talks about actually arriving to your ship on embarkation day, one of my favorite tips is get there as early as you can. Most cruise terminals in North America, anyway, open up about 10 a.m. You don't need to get there quite that early, but I would advise to get to the cruise terminal earlier than later. And by earlier, I would say in the 11 o'clock a.m. hour is usually a really good time to get to any cruise terminal. The reason is you're going to beat the crowds because most people show up around noontime or later. And you're also going to get on the ship sooner because Royal Caribbean usually boards in the the order in which you arrive. Now, they do prioritize folks that, based on their Crown and Anchor Society status, but still, the earlier you arrive, the earlier you will board. Bar none, that's the bottom line. And that's why I think, hey, if you pay for this cruise and it's the same cost, whether you board at 11 a.m. or 2 p.m., you may as well get on earlier, take advantage of what the ship has to offer, start your vacation even sooner. It's all that good stuff. So definitely get there early. Uh, no matter, and here's another tip, by the way. Royal Caribbean, upon your online check-in, is going to give you a, a check-in time. You can ignore that. It's a suggestion, not a requirement, and it is certainly not enforced. So you may as well get there early and get on, on board. And once you are on board, one of the best things you can do on Embarkation Day is explore the ship. Start walking around, see where everything is, get your bearings. It's really important on Embarkation Day to explore the ship as much as you can. This is not only an opportunity to learn where everything is, but also an opportunity for you to be able to you know, see what the ship has to offer. Maybe you'll have an opportunity to take a spa tour, which, by the way, are complimentary, and maybe even book a spa service, uh, make specialty restaurant reservations, maybe book a shore excursion you've been waiting to maybe book. There's a lot of possibilities for things to do, but also just get a sense of where everything is and maybe even discover something you weren't aware was on your ship. So get on board and get yourself organized as early as you can. The more time you have on board the ship, especially on Embarkation Day, the more time you have to do all these kinds of things. On Embarkation Day, there's going to be something called the muster drill, or maybe some people may call it the safety drill. It's a mandatory drill that everybody has to do when you get on board a Royal Caribbean cruise. At some point, usually in the mid-afternoon or late afternoon, before the ship sails away, everyone's going to have to go to their muster station. This is basically your evacuation drill where you go and you practice and learn about what's get, what, what to do in case of an emergency. It's very similar to what happens on an airplane when they go through the safety check. The only difference is you have to go somewhere instead of staying in your seat. And everyone has to do it. No way around it. It is just uh, the nature of it. It doesn't take that long, usually about 30 minutes or so. It depends, of course, on how long it takes people to get 
down to where they're they have to um you know be but uh you know you need to go do it and be forewarned that crew members will go around to make sure that you're not like hiding in your cabin just do it it's one of those things you need to do but it's over quickly and before you know it it's time to really set sail which is really really nice and the other thing you want to do also on application day is you'll get a copy of it when you board or if you don't Make sure you ask for one upon check-in, which is the ship's daily newsletter, which is called the Cruise Compass. This is an indication you're going to get one every day in your room, but on embarkation, it's really important because it's going to give you an idea of what activities are lined up for day one, what venues are open. It's a really good opportunity for you to kind of figure out the important things for the first day and maybe even learn about stuff. Heck, if nothing else, it's it's reading material for when you're waiting in the cruise terminal. So definitely check that out on our vacation day. Uh, a, a good tip is to read that cruise compass and throughout your cruise, because the cruise compass will be delivered to your stateroom every night. Your stateroom attendant will give you a copy. It'll be waiting for you usually when you come back from dinner slash your evening entertainment. And uh, you can take a look at that and see what's coming up the next day. My recommendation, and I've learned this from experience, is read the cruise compass the night before. Because inevitably, if you don't, if you wait for the next day to read it, you say, oh, I'll read it at breakfast. No problem at all. Well, you may oversleep and or miss an activity you would have wished you have gone on. So definitely something to uh, to take a look at. And like I said, every day and ideally the night before. In terms of shore excursions, one of the things I would recommend doing is before you ever get on your cruise, book and plan your shore excursions before the cruise, if you can. It's not always possible. And some ports, it's not necessary all the time, especially if you've been to the port before. But... In my experience, the best thing you can do is leverage the power of the internet and look at all options and research what you want to do before your cruise. Uh, I, I think it's really important to you know always weigh an excursion that Royal Caribbean offers versus an excursion that you can do on your own. But no matter which way you go, and there's pros and cons to both, you want to plan as much as you can beforehand uh, for a couple of different reasons. Number one. You're going to have the greatest opportunity to see all available options if you do it before the cruise. Number two, you're going to have the greatest availability. Because if you wait to get on board the ship, a lot of the excursions, especially Royal Caribbean ones, may book up. And it's not always the case. Uh, I think certain itineraries book up faster than other itineraries. But the bottom line is you don't want to ever say, oh, I found the perfect itinerary for me, only to realize it's, it's been booked up. So definitely do it as far out as you can. You don't have to go crazy and book it, your excursions you know, six to nine months in advance. But I would say, you know, when, once you get within a couple months of your cruise, it's probably a good idea to start looking at these kinds of things and see what's of interest to you. And as soon as you know you want to book something, you may as well book it. There's very little risk in booking a shore excursion in advance. I mean, certainly Royal Caribbean will always give you your money back if you change your mind. And uh, within 48 hours of the tour, I should say. So obviously you can't go in the morning of and be like, oh, I don't want to go on the tour anymore. But, you know, if you book the tour today for a cruise you have coming up next year... And a month or two from now or whenever you decide, oh, you know, I really don't want to go on that excursion anymore. I'd rather go on this one. Well, you still have that option to cancel it. And most third-party excursions allow cancellations. I mean, I, I can't honestly think of an excursion that doesn't offer uh, a full money back on cancellations as long as you do it within, you know, before a couple days before the excursion. So you should have no problem uh, there at all. And, and I definitely recommend, again, booking your shore excursions as early as possible. Another tip is keeping in touch while on your cruise. A lot of people have this question, especially with uh, larger families or groups is I'm on the ship. How do I like, you know, let everyone know, Hey, I'm going to be over here or we're going to do this or who wants to go to the bar tonight or the casino tonight. You know, there's a lot of different choices. My, in my opinion, there are two simple choices involved and I'm going to make, I'm there. This is not the only two choices, but I feel like these in 2018, as of the recording of this podcast, these are the two best practical choices available to you for staying in contact with other people on board the ship. Number one 
is to for everybody to buy an internet plan and then to all agree on some sort of messaging app to use, whether it's Facebook Messenger, Skype, WhatsApp. Uh, you can even use sometimes your phone if you have like iPhones, as an example. Uh, your your iMessage can use data instead of uh, cell signal to to work. That works quite well, and I feel like this is a good option because it's simple. It is everyone has a phone anyway, so really, it's you know if you don't have a phone, you're probably too young or too old to have one. I suspect, and that will be an issue for you to stay in contact. But I will tell you that it's since everyone already has the device. And these days, everyone likes being connected anyway and being able to, you know, not only communicate with those on board the ship, but also be able to communicate with folks and friends and family back home. There's lots of of benefit to going that route. It is a little expensive because you have to buy an internet package for everybody, right? Or at least enough internet package access for folks that, you know, need to have it, right? So as an example, family of four. Well, you may not need it for the kids, but maybe you and your wife need one, right? That's an example. So you need a two-device package, Um, you know kind of going that route obviously for larger families maybe just be one per family may be sufficient for just being able to stay in contact so there's that if you're looking for a potentially cheaper option i say potentially with an asterisk i'll get to that in a second is you can actually just text you know one of the faux pas you'll read about quite often is oh when you get on a cruise ship turn off your cell phone you know put it in airplane mode because the roaming charges are crazy and those people are right actually the roaming charges for phone calls and data use while on a cruise ship can be really, really large and really awful and you get a monster bill and it's it's really, really bad. But text messaging, as in SMS messaging, is actually not that expensive while roaming. Depends on your carrier. Check with your carrier. But in most carriers, especially ones here in the United States, incoming messages are free even while roaming. And to send a message, depends on your, on your plan, is as cheap as $0.05 cents or maybe 50, 50 cents a message. Now, again, depending on how much you text... That may or may not be a better deal financially than going with an internet plan. Keeping in mind that, you know, a Voom internet package is going to cost you probably about, oh, you know, the ballpark of, you know, 15 to 20 bucks a day for every day of your cruise versus if you're texting, I mean, heck, you know, again, incoming message is free. Sending, let's assume 50 cents a message. You know, you send, you know, geez, even, you know, 10 messages a day, you're only up to five bucks for your roaming charge per day, which is still significantly cheaper than your than the internet package right and again everyone has their phone as long as you set up your phone correctly in terms of you know putting in airplane mode but allowing texting to go through or disabling your your voice and not not taking phone calls and not using your data you know it requires a little more i think setup uh to make sure you're not going to incur those monster charges but texting actually while roaming is not that expensive and assuming you're not texting like a millennial might i think you'll probably be in a pretty good spot for being able to uh, use that and, quite frankly, save a lot of money. A lot of people think about it's going to be very expensive, but texting is really, really not. So definitely something to keep in mind. Um, also, before your cruise, you want the topic of cruise insurance. And we've talked about this in various times in the podcast, usually in the listener question part. But I want to go over it here because this is an important factor. A lot of times people wonder, should I get travel insurance for my cruise? And the answer is it depends. There is no set answer. I think it really depends on your risk tolerance, what is important to you, what is kind of your concerns, and what your risk factors are. You know, if you're in generally good health and you, you know, you're not the kind of person who's at the doctor all that often, perhaps travel insurance is not necessary. When I first started cruising, I never got travel insurance. It wasn't until fairly recently that we started getting travel insurance because for quite a while, I think I, you know, was just one of those people who says, oh, it'll never happen to me kind of thing, which is 
you know, look, odds are in, in most insurance cases, it doesn't happen. You Statistically speaking, it's just that 1% when it pops up, boy, does it hurt, right? But, you know, as we got older, there was a situation in which we had a health scare. No, nothing happened. Like, it was all good. But after that, I was like, I'm not playing this game of should we get travel insurance anymore. I'm just going to get it. It's just I'm going to pay a little bit more money. But for me, I'll be able to sleep easier at night. And for personally, that was worth it to me. For other people, it may not make a whole lot of sense. And for other people, it's just a must do, right? Travel insurance covers a lot of different possibilities. You need to not only just buy travel insurance, but also look at what the plan covers. Because a lot of people, I think, assume what the plan covers uh, versus what it does. So read the policy, be very certain about what it covers, and be clear on it. The classic example of why it's really important to read travel insurance is for hurricanes, right? A lot of times people get freaked out about hurricane season and, oh, boy, what if there's a storm? Well, gee whiz, I'm going to get travel insurance to protect me. So they get travel insurance and then, you know, it gets to their cruise a month before and, oh, look, there's a storm coming, right? It's going to go right where our cruise is going. Well, you know what? It's it's okay because I got travel insurance. I'm going to call my travel insurance company and cancel because I'm not even going to get near that thing and I'll be all set, right? Well, not necessarily. Because a lot of times, the travel insurance plans that include hurricane coverage don't actually in- involve the option to be able to proactively cancel um, if your cruise is still going on. In many cases, travel insurance, like in this situation, only kicks in if Royal Caribbean says, hey, this cruise is canceled. We're not doing it. But if the cruise is going to go on, it, albeit to a different itinerary, you're still on and the travel insurance does not kick in. Now, there are different plans that offer like cancel anytime or cancel any for any reason insurance. That's a different story. But again, look at what your plan covers and determine if the cost, if the options available, and if the risk factors for you are all worth it. Because we all have different insurance plans at home. We all have different risk tolerances. And like I said, there's plenty of people who go without it. Certainly, I was one of them for a long time. It's not to say that everyone needs to get travel insurance. I think it really depends on you and what you're looking to do and what your what your concerns are. So definitely uh, keep that in mind. And it's something you should at least go through an exercise of figuring out what is a good choice. If you're looking for where to find travel insurance, certainly just the internet is your best friend on this one. Royal Caribbean offers its own travel insurance. So that is another option as well. Your travel agent can key you in on uh, the price and what that covers and all that. There are third-party plans. In my experience, I'm not the end-all be-all authority on travel insurance, but in my experience, we've we've booked our travel insurance through third parties. We've used uh, Allianz Travel, uh, A-L-L-I-A-N-Z, uh, mostly out of reputation, quite frankly, more than anything. And I, we haven't had to use it yet, but it's something to keep in mind, and hey, maybe it'll save you a lot of money, and, or maybe it'll just be the best money you ever spent to get absolutely nothing out of it, you know. Like all insurance, whether it's car insurance or home insurance or travel insurance, you know, it's one of those things where you hate to spend the money for it, but if you need it, boy, is it great to have. Now, let's talk about, well, let's go back to the onboard experience and some more cruise tips for you. Dining, being on board the ship and eating. So on Royal Caribbean, there are two kinds of dining plans, let's call it. There is traditional dining and there's my time dining. Now, traditional dining says... You're going to be assigned to either early or late seating, which means you're either going to be going to the main dining room every night at in the early seating, which is usually about 5, 5.30 p.m., or the late seating, which is usually about 8, 8.30 p.m. Depends on the ship and sailing what exact time, but it's the, you go to the same time, you get the same table, you have the same wait staff, and you have the same table mates each night of your cruise. That's the traditional because, quite frankly, that's what it's been for like forever. But Rogerman also has my time dining, which is a more flexible option, which allows you to basically still go to the dining room for dinner, but not at a set time. You make reservations. You can make reservations online. You can make reservations once you're on board the ship. You can vary it from anywhere from 
I think the times go from like 5 to 8.30 p.m., maybe even a little later, a little earlier. But it allows you to make a reservation, subject to availability, for a table. And in my time dining, you're going to have potentially different dining times, different table mates, and different uh, wait staff. You can certainly request the same wait staff. You can re- you obviously book it with the same people you're going to be seating with. But keep in mind that that may you know add with more time to it. You may have to wait longer to get that particular waiter or that particular table or whatnot. You also have the option of just simply showing up to the main dining room and saying, you know, just like, you know, hey, uh, we have a party of four. We'd like to eat now. Can we be seated? And in which case, usually there's a line. First come, first serve, and it usually moves fairly quickly. With my time dining, it's a lot like going out for a restaurant in at in your local town, right? You can call up, like, you know, if it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you can call up, make a reservation, or you can just show up to a restaurant and see which one doesn't have that long of a wait and go there. That's certainly an option for you. Which one uh, is the right choice for you really depends on what you're looking to do. I prefer traditional traditional dining because, A, that's what I started cruising with, so there's a bit of that involved. But, B, I just think it's simpler. It's easier. Traditional dining, the larger the group, the easier traditional dining is for you. It's a better option. Uh, my time dining is I feel like you know I like having the same wait staff uh, every night, and I, I just prefer that. But a lot of people swear by my time dining because it's just a lot simpler. It allows you to you know kind of curtail your dining for around your port schedule. You know, if you're in port for a little longer, you can have a late dinner. If it's a sea day, you can have dinner a little earlier. Some people prefer to eat dinner at a different time that doesn't match up with the traditional dining. There's an option for that too. So you know, there's there's pros and cons to all of it. Uh, I will tell you that, again, it depends on your personal cruising habits. If you're new to cruising, this is your first cruise, and man, I've never done anything before, I would probably recommend traditional dining. I think it's just, it's simpler to plan because there's something to plan. It's just, you pick one and you're good to go, and you're off to the races. Now, of course, in addition, you know, everything we just talked about for dining was for dinner in the main dining room, but there are other options. In fact, Royal Caribbean is really designed to ships to offer a lot more. There's specialty dining, right? You've got your specialty restaurants, your Chops Grills, your Zoomies, your Sabors. You've heard us talk about this a lot here on the podcast. These are options that cost extra, but they allow you maybe different cuisines, uh, different uh, venues, uh, different quality food. Depends on you know what you're looking to do. But uh, you know these are options for you that I feel you should augment, not necessarily replace your entire cruise experience. A lot of veteran cruisers may go to the extreme of saying, okay, we're only going to do specialty dining. I don't know you have to go the quite that length. I often tell first-time cruisers, you know, work in one or two as kind of a way to splurge a little bit, but they do exist. You can book them before the cruise. You can book a dining package. You can book them once you get on board the ship. You should be fairly confident that you can still get reservations once on board the ship. They don't quite book up quite that quickly. With the exception of formal nights and holidays, you generally see bookings go quicker. But again, if you were just like, hey, Matt, I'd like to be able to try, you know, Chops Grill one night on my cruise. I'm not too picky which one. You'll have no problem if you wait on board the ship to to do that. And in addition, you also have some other places you can dine at that have no additional cost, but are far less formal than the dining room, and quite frankly, are, are including your cruise. You know, you have the Windjammer, the Windjammer, as I like to say here on Royal Cream Blog Podcast, which is a uh, buffet option, which has a lot of great food. There's a more, there's grab and go places. Depends on which ship you're talking about exactly in Royal Cream's fleet, but there are other alternatives. You never have to go to the dining room if you never want to. You can eat at the you know, Windjammer, which is a great choice for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, late night, whatever. And you can get plenty of great food over there. Never have to get dressed up. It's it's a certainly a, a really popular option with a lot of folks. Depends on what you're looking to do, quite frankly. Uh, and then you have places like Happy Promenade, Park Cafe, and a variety of other choices as well for maybe small snacks or light meals or big snacks and, and really anything else in between. 
I feel like, you know, there's a lot of choices. What you want to do, A, is research your cruise, but also figure out where you want to dine. And just know that you don't have to make these plans like right now. You know, you don't have to. Dining choices are one of those things that we, we kind of talk about a lot because it's kind of fun, I think. But it's not to say that you have to make a decision about where you're going to eat dinner right now. Personally, the way that I attack it is I'll pick usually almost old, always uh, second seating dining, traditional, you know, late seating dining. And then as I get closer to the cruise, I start looking at specialty dining and going from there. In some rare occasions, this happened. I have foregone the dining room. I think I've only done that once or twice, primarily because I think it was like a short cruise that I was there for research purposes. So I was using the air quotes for research. In the name of science, <laughs> for realgreenblog.com, uh, I didn't have time to eat in the dining room, so I just went for the you know quick grab-and-go options in the uh, Windjammer. But everyone's needs are different. I feel like if you're new to cruising, go to the go to the main dining room for dinner. For breakfast and lunch, you can certainly make do quite easily with the options available that you're going to find in the other restaurants like the uh, Windjammer, primarily. Um, but just be aware that they do exist and something to uh, you know look into. Uh, also, let's talk about kids, because we haven't talked about kids yet. Uh, Adventure Ocean is really important. This Adventure Ocean is Royal Caribbean's kids programming. If you got kids that are uh, that are under the age of 18, you can enroll them. It's complimentary to use Adventure Ocean. That means, yes, there's no additional cost to use them unless they stay late night, which is after 10 p.m. But what you want to do, all you have to do, is on Embarkation Day, go to Adventure Ocean. There will be an open house, usually. Check that cruise compass on Embarkation Day. Look for open hours in which you can go there, and you can uh, register your kids. They don't have to go just by the fact that they're registering them. But I think it's a really good idea to bring them, let them see the venue, meet the counselors, talk about the activities that are going to be there. It's a lot of fun. And my kids love Adventure Ocean because for them, it's camp. It's an opportunity to go do fun things uh, with, with other kids and the yeah, games and activities. They're, 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 they offer age-specific programming. And that's a huge benefit for uh for kids and not only that you know if the kids are in adventure ocean that means my wife and i get time alone to be able to do adult things you know hang out at the bar go to the pool go to a show uh you know enjoy a dinner without anybody bothering us these are all things that are really nice so it's definitely you know win-win for everybody involved but definitely uh, go to adventure ocean on embarkation day and register then the kids don't have to go by virtue of the fact that you're registering them but it's a really good idea to get that kind of under your belt and and kind of, you know, all set to go. And lastly, let's talk about the end of the cruise and what you have to do kind of when the cruise comes to an end after you stop crying. Maybe you know, we won't stop crying. <laughs> that only happens a couple days out later. Uh, let's talk about gratuities because during your cruise, you're going to offer gratuities. Gratuities at Royal Caribbean come in a couple different forms. You have auto gratuities, which are if you do nothing, if you just sit there and fold your arms, every day of your cruise, every night of your cruise, I should say, you're going to get assessed an automatic gratuity charge. Basically on your CPAS account, that's the onboard account you have, Royal Caribbean will charge a daily amount that pays for gratuities that go towards your wait staff in the main dining room and your stateroom attendant. So there's nothing extra you have to do. It'll just be on your CPAS account. And, th- and then at the end of the cruise, obviously, you'll have that bill to pay off. Uh, either it'll automatically go on your credit card or you have the option of always going to guest relations and paying it through cash or some other means of which that uh, works for you. You also have the option of, before your cruise, prepaying your gratuities. And you might be wondering, well, why would I want to prepay my gratuities? The reason why I do it all the time is to help break up the total cost of the cruise. Instead of getting that bill at the end of the cruise, which has your gratuities and the ice cream you bought for your kids and the short excursion you ended up booking and, you know, the T-shirts you thought were cool and all those bingo games, you know, rather than getting that, that big bill at the end, I like to spread it out as much as I can. And by prepaying gratuities maybe a couple months before your cruise, that's one less thing to hit that bill later on. And it's a lot easier and simpler and 
you know, definitely uh, something that you can take advantage of if that's of interest. Some people don't, and, or some people like to bring cash on board the ship and go straight to the to guest relations and say, "Oh, you know, I've got you know, we I see on the C pass count we owe and with everything we owe this amount of money. Here's all that money in cash because I'd rather just do it that way." Now, for gratuities, you do have the option of going to guest relations and asking to have gratuities removed with the idea that you're going to give your own gratuity amount. Sometimes people like to give more. Sometimes people get less. Some people prefer just to give the same amount but do it in person. You know, a firm handshake. Here's the money. Thank you for a great time. Blah, blah, blah. You can certainly do that. Keep in mind, you absolutely, positively need to tip. It's just part of the Royal Caribbean structure. For better or worse, certainly you can debate it. Until you're blue in the face about whether you know the, the role that gratuity should play in the cruise fare today, but as it stands right now, you still have to make you still have to give tips. It's just the nature of it, and the automatic gratuity makes it a whole lot simpler. Back in the day, you had to get little envelopes and put money in there and hand it to them. It was always weird and awkward. Now there's none of that. It's all automatic. You can make it a whole lot simpler. So for your first cruise, if you don't worry about it, all you have to do is just let it go automatically and you'd be all set. Um, but along those lines, you can't settle your account. One of the things I recommend is the last night of the cruise, if not maybe the second to last night of your cruise, go to guest services and ask for a final bill to make sure that everything on there is accurate. Sometimes there are mistakes, like the classic example is you returned a towel to the pool area, but they didn't record it, so they're charging you 20 or 25 bucks, whatever, for it. Make sure that's not the case, and take care of those problems while you're still on board the ship. It is a heck of a lot easier to fix those problems when you're on board the ship rather than trying to call Royal Caribbean later on to try to remedy it. It's a big, you know hassle quite frankly so get it done my other recommendation along these lines is don't wait for the last night of the cruise i know i kind of said that earlier don't do that go earlier in the day because the last night there's usually a really long line of guest relations because everybody thinks oh now i'm gonna go get those bills and fix all those problems so you know be proactive with it if not get it earlier in the day that's why i say you know do it the night the second to last night of the cruise because there'll be no line over there guest relations and quite frankly the odds are of, of there being a, a billing mistake later on is pretty low uh, and that way you can you know take care of the big issues uh, at that point but you want to understand when you settle your account uh, if you don't want to do anything if you have a credit card against your CPAS account you don't have to do anything it'll just automatically hit your credit card when the cruise is over but some people like I said bring cash maybe you want some money in the casino uh, maybe you just want to use a different credit card whatever the reason may be you can go to guest services and settle up as it were and and uh, be all set and lastly, it is packing time when you're on board your ship. We started with packing. We're going to end with packing. And that is, of course, when it's your cruise is coming to an end. The uh, second, to night, second to last night of your cruise, you're going to get uh, your luggage tags delivered to your stateroom. Yes, there'll be tears involved with that as well. Um, basically, what you're going to have to do is on the last day of your cruise, you can just pack up your luggage. And if you'd like, you don't have to, you could put out uh, cer- certain bags of luggage into the hallway before midnight of your last night of your cruise. And Royal Caribbean will, will gather your luggage for you and then deliver it into the cruise terminal. So that way, when you're going from onboard the ship to disembarkation, you go through customs, you know, you, you don't have to pick up your luggage until the very, very end of that. It's a whole lot simpler to do that. Some people prefer not to do that. Some people don't have that much luggage to begin with. Some people prefer to get off the ship as early as possible. And if that's the case, you need to not have Royal Caribbean check your luggage. But it depends. For me, with my kids as a family... We always check our luggage. It's well worth it. I don't want to lug that stuff around, and it's just the name of the game. But you're going to uh, need to affix the luggage tags to your luggage, take off your old luggage tags, of course, and um, you know put that out for the in, before midnight of the last night of your cruise. And then as you leave the ship, right before you get to the customs agent, you'll be able to pick up your luggage. Uh, again, porters will be available to help you with this, which I highly recommend again. 
and then you go right out and you'll be all set to go. So there you go. That's kind of the nitty gritty, bare basics, first time cruise tips. There's a lot more stuff than that. I wish that was all that you needed to know about going on a real Caribbean cruise as a first time cruiser, but I'm going to tell you that at least here's some basics. Hopefully, maybe this episode spawns some ideas. I'm like, oh, you know what? That's right. I, got, I forgot to look at that or consider that option. You know, uh, there's certainly a lot more you can do, and I'll try to post in our show notes at realcaribbeanblog.com some links to some helpful first time cruise uh, blog posts for you to check on out. But uh, hopefully this will help you out there because, uh, you know, you want to make sure your first cruise is off to a great start and you have a fantastic time. Because if you follow all these tips, just these, and if not anything else, you'll have a great time on your first Royal Caribbean cruise. All right, time to answer your listener emails. This is the part of the podcast where I dive into the Royal Caribbean blog inbox and answer your emails about Royal Caribbean. You can always send me your email by sending it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Our first email is from Tim White, who writes, I wanted to follow up my email from a couple weeks ago about our June 19th Symphony of the Seas cruise on the Mediterranean. First, I know you've had some recent podcasts about pricing tickets to Europe, and the complications of purchasing our tickets to Barcelona were no exception. We started monitoring prices several months in advance of the trip and found prices to fluctuate daily and finally settled on a decent price about six weeks before the cruise. We continued to monitor the prices after booking and luckily never saw a significant shift below the price we booked. The moral of the story was start tracking early and don't be afraid to wait until it's within the two-month window. Um, we rented a TEP wireless hotspot TEP uh, to use for our international phone coverage and we're pleasantly surprised how well it worked as soon as we left the airport in Barcelona. Our family of four, whose kids are age 9 and 11, was meeting up with another family of five, and we had rented the apartment uh, near the Gothic Quarter. Our flight arrived at 9 o'clock, and check-in at the apartment was not until 3. To help us stay awake, we took advantage of the rental lockers near the apartment, stowed the luggage, and took a Divor Barcelona Taste and Traditions food tour. We had an amazing tour guide named Paulina that took us through the Santa Catarina Market, along with some other stops, including an introduction to La Hora de Vermouth, the Hour of Vermouth, and some delicious paella. This was enough to get us in the early afternoon and check into the apartment. We also had planned a walking tour of the Gothic Quarter that was excellent and very informative. This was a great way to help us learn more about the city and make sure we stayed up to adjust to our new bedtime in Barcelona. On day two in Barcelona, we had managed a tour of Montserrat through Castle Experience. Our tour Angus, our tour guide Angus, was the best and very informative. Uh, travel to the port and embarkation couldn't have been easier. We booked a, we grabbed a taxi near the apartment, and we were at the port in less than 20 minutes. It was a little less confusing, as there were two terminals feeding into Symphony, and our taxi delivery to to one terminal and our friends the other, but we easily met inside once the get, when we were in the gangway. Uh, we had a crown loft suite, and the entire process from curb to stepping onto the ship could not have taken more than 20 minutes. Stepping onto the ship was amazing, as we as we expected, and Symphony of the Seas did not disappoint for the entire trip. We explored the ship, and the kids changed into their suits for the pool and flow rider. We got into a room not long after 1 p.m., and we were very impressed by the space and views of the room. The entire staff of the suite lounge went above and beyond for all our aspects of their stay. After the mustard drill, we, in the aqua theater, we started to settle into our routine for the cruise. Day two started with an early approach to Palma, Mallorca, and we were awoken to an amazing view of the cathedral in the city. We'd hoped to be able to walk into the cathedral, but the walk was going to be over three miles, so we opted to do a Royal Caribbean shuttle instead. After exploring the cathedral and the area immediately following it, we took the shuttle back to the ship to enjoy some time on board. Day three was our stop in France at the port of Marseille. We made an important stop at a grocery store for Comte potato chips. Comte? C-O-M-T-E. I'm not sure what that means. And again, we planned, we planned a shorter trip 
uh, ashore to enjoy the ship with very busy port days planned in Italy for the next couple days. For all three of the Italy ports, we had arranged a driver with Rome private excursions. After a quick breakfast at the Windjammer, we left the ship at the port of La Spezia. Since there were nine of us, two cars picked us up at the port, and our drivers David and David took us for a quick stop at Pisa. My wife and I had been there ten years ago and knew that it was not a sight to miss, but not worth more than a short visit. We then headed to Florence, see Dumo, Ponte Vicio, and see David. We had specifically requested lunch at a, at a special restaurant, which is an amazing hole called, I'm going to mispronounce this one, E. Frontellini. It's an amazing hole in the wall, place to get a sandwich and a glass of Brunello. Day five was a stop in Rome, which was not close to the port in which we docked. After almost two hours, our drivers Luca and Maximo had us to Rome for a quick walk around the Colosseum. This was another example of how we could craft our schedule with drivers. We could not have taken the time to go inside the Colosseum, but we chose to spend more time later in the day at the Vatican. We grabbed an amazing lunch near a market of paninis and beer. Some of us got pizza that was sold by the pound. The market was right by the Parthenon, which was not crowded that day, so we were able to spend time inside this amazing building. We then headed to the Vatican and met our tour guide. Having a guide was a great way to focus the time we were there and to maximize the short amount of time we had. Day six was at Naples. We woke up early to start the day. My wife noticed that the floor was wet on the second floor by the desk. Water leaked from above, and it got into the drawers and left a significant amount of clothing inside wet. We informed our steward and got the concierge, and immediately things went into motion to correct the situation. They, all, they took all the wet clothes for laundering and maintenance that was in the room as we left to fix the problem. We left the ship and went to our drivers, Aldo and Salvatore, to take us on our tour. The port parking lot was a nightmare, and we did not get anywhere for almost 60 minutes. This was one of the great advantages of using Rome private excursions. We changed our plans as we drove and decided not to go all the way to Sorrento, and instead just enjoyed some limoncello at a distillery and then went to a coastal town of Positano. We walked the streets of this beautiful town for 60 minutes before meeting up with our drivers again to take us to a new lunch destination that was different from our original plans. They suggested a lunch and wine tasting that sounded too good to pass up. We approached Mount Vesuvius and stopped at a vineyard that had that was literally the last stop on the road heading up to the volcano. Finally, a sea day. We started in the morning with our room service, which was delivered on time and rather tasty. I made a quick trip to get a Bloody Mary, another great use of our drink package early in the day. All the kids wanted to skate, so we got down to the rink early to sign up for the first slot of the day. Drinks, swimming, and lounging by the pool were the status quo for the rest of our day. Disembarkation was every bit as smooth as embarkation. We ate a coastal kitchen for breakfast for the first time of the trip. Uh, an amazing trip. Can't wait till our November Independence Day. Thanks for all you do. Love the podcast. Tim, thank you so much for the email, dude. Great information. There's a lot more stuff in there. And Tim, I would recommend you actually, if you have the email, copy and paste it. Put that on our Rokerman Blog message boards because I think that'd be really helpful. Uh, Tim posted in the email a lot of links and helpful uh, advice and what he did on there, which is awesome. Really, really great to hear about that. So thank you, Tim. Uh, next, we have an email from uh, Anthony who writes... Uh, Matt, in Cozumel, which of these do you prefer and why? Nachi Kokum or Mr. Sancho's? So, Anthony, thank you for the email. I've only been to one so far, which is Nachi Kokum. I'm going to Mr. Sancho's in November of this year while on Symphony of the Sea. So, I'll have a chance to answer this a little bit better in November. But I'll tell you that on reputation alone, uh, both uh, Mr. Sancho's and Nachi Kokum are all-inclusive day pass kind of places. You pay a cover charge, you go there, and basically your food and drink are included with it, and, and also whatever activities they have over there. And Mr. Sancho's has the reputation of, if you have kids and or you're somebody who wants to have a little more activities, like you want 
you know, thing like inflatable things in the ocean to go play with and jump on and climb, Mr. Sanchez is the thing for you. Nacho Cook'em is a more laid-back approach. They don't have, like, you know, water toys and all those kinds of things, but it's more about the relaxation. And one of the advantages Nacho Cook'em has is they limit the amount of people that can go there to that resort. So, you know, theoretically, it's not nearly as crowded as some other places that are out there. So you can't go wrong with either one, Anthony. I think it really boils down to do you want to have, like, inflatables in the ocean, you know, water toys? If so, you need to go to Mr. Sancho's. If not, Nachi's a great choice as well. But I'll have a better idea of really the, the difference between them in November when I go to Mr. Sancho's for the first time. And then I'll have a, I, I'm hoping, a good uh, review here compare contrasting both places because they're very popular choices uh, for folks that go cruising to Cozumel because they've been around for a while. Uh, they've developed quite the reputation as being great places to go. So I don't think you're making a mistake. It's really just a matter of, you know, which one is more, more interest to you. Next, we have an email from Kevin who writes, I just had a quick question about eating at Izumi on Harmony of the Seas. Is it possible to get hibachi meals, obviously without the hibachi experience, at the sushi side of the restaurant? My fiance and I love hibachi, but prefer to dine alone. Thanks in advance. Uh, Kevin, great question. You cannot. I know what you're asking about. I've been to some sushi restaurants where you can order hibachi food, you know, food that's cooked in the hibachi style, but not with the hibachi, you know, sitting with other people and all that stuff. Uh, no, Kevin, you can't. Uh, the sushi side of Izumi on Oasis class ships uh, is just sushi on them. There's not the food uh, that comes from the hibachi available to order there, unfortunately. So, sorry, Kevin. Uh, you'll have to limit. If you don't want to eat with other people, which is totally okay. You can, you'll be limited to the quite extensive Izumi menu. Uh, they have quite a lot of food on there uh, that I think you'll enjoy. So as long as you like sushi, that's fine. But otherwise, if you want the hibachi food, you have to eat on the hibachi side. Sorry, wish I had a better answer for you there. Next, we have an email from uh, AJ who writes, Hi, Matt. Just got back from a wonderful nine-night cruise on Anthem of the Sea, so I thought I'd share a review. This is actually the exact same week itinerary and ship you're going on for the Royal Caribbean blog 2019 group cruise on Anthem of the Seas next year. And sure, shameless, shameless plug here. I wish I could join you on that, but I've already booked Symphony. All right, let's talk about a few things to break down. Food. We had the three-night dining package, so we ate at Chop's Grill, Jamie's Italian, and Wonderland. Every meal was excellent. I love the concept of Wonderland, and the food was excellent. We ate in the main dining room, the Windjammer, and the Solarium Bistro for dinner on some other nights, and that was as good as well. Entertainment, we saw The Gift, and We Will Rock You. The Gift was very good. I love the performances in that show. I wouldn't see it again only because I've seen it already. We Will Rock You was amazing. I love the cast, the songs, everything else. I would see that show again in a heartbeat. One thing I learned from talking with some of the band members was that each member of the band in the show had to be selected by the, ba- by the band queen themselves. They said it was such an honor to be picked. For the ports, we visited Bermuda, San Juan, St. Martin, and Labadee. For Bermuda, we planned a trip to Warwick Long Bay, which is a south shore beach. So we got off the ship as soon as possible to spend as much time there as possible. We had a, There was a quick downpour while on the bus, but other than that, we had great weather. We spent a few hours at the beach and then had lunch at our favorite spot in Bermuda, the Frog and Onion Pub in Dockyard. If you, if you or any of your listeners are going to Bermuda soon, definitely eat at the Frog and Onion. In San Juan, we didn't get off the ship, so we spent the time walking around the ship and in the indoor pool. It felt like we were on our own private cruise ship. St. Martin, we took a taxi to Maho Beach and watched some of the airplanes coming in from the ocean. It was a very relaxing day. It was quite nice. Labadee, some of us did the zip line, which is a lot of fun. I would totally recommend it for someone who hasn't done it before. After that, we met up with the rest of our group and spent uh, several hours at Nelly's Beach. We actually thought we were at Columbus Cove until I realized that there was a sign for Columbus Cove pointing the, to the beach over. On board the ship, we did several activities on board, including the Flow Rider, iFly, Bumper Cars, Trapeze School, and North Star. Each activity was so much fun. Shout out to Gustavo, our amazing iFly instructor. Overall, we had an amazing cruise and would love to do it again in a heartbeat. Uh, sorry for the long email. Keep up the fantastic work on the blog and podcast. 
AJ, thank you so much for the email, dude. I love this review. And, of course, you're absolutely right. This is the exact same itinerary that we are doing for the Royal Caribbean Blog Group Cruise on Anthem of the Seas next year. If you're wondering what the heck a group cruise is, it's a Royal Caribbean cruise in which I invite all of you, everybody listening to this podcast, to come join me for it. Let's cruise together because, after all, what's better than a Royal Caribbean cruise? A Royal Caribbean cruise with friends. And it's a lot of fun to be able to share in that experience. We do special events on board. We get to explore the, the, the ships and ports together. It's a great time. And if you want more information about our group cruises, you can always go to royalcaribbeanblog.com slash events. Uh, this one that AJ is talking about is on July 4th, 2019 out of Bayonne, New Jersey. Uh, it's a nine night going to uh, Bermuda, St. Juan, St. Martin, Labadee. It's an amazing itinerary, I got to tell you. And I can't wait to, to do this one. And I'm hoping that many of my friends here on this podcast will be able to join us for it, too. So, again, if you want more information, you can go to royalcaribbeanblog.com slash events, royalcaribbeanblog.com slash events. And our last email is from Don, who writes, Hi, Matt. I'm relatively new to the blog, and I'm enjoying catching up on your prior podcasts. I have a few questions regarding onboard credit. Number one, we have an, ama- we have an upcoming cruise, and the cruise planner shows that we have $100 onboard credit. If I book an excursion and apply onboard credit, then later cancel the excursion, is the onboard credit placed back in the account for reuse, or is it just lost? Well, Don, the answer is, it's pushed back immediately. If you book something in the cruise planner before your cruise, and you use Royal Caribbean's onboard credit that they're giving you, and then you, you cancel, because you decide later on you want to do something different, or reprice, or whatever, the onboard credit comes back to you immediately, as soon as you cancel it. So, easy peasy, good to go. Second question, Don writes, is, I believe I'd heard that if you book a cruise at next cruise desk, you will receive onboard credit relative to the amount of the deposit you put down. Although this policy may have changed, I'm only up to episode 31 in the in my endeavor to catch up. If this is the case, could you use that onboard credit on the subsequent cruise to then put down a deposit on another cruise? Basically, I think you'd be putting down a deposit once and then using house money for future deposits, or is there something that says you have to use new money for your deposit? Uh, thanks for all the great work you do, and keep it up. Don, thank you for the email. When you make any reservation at the next cruise office... You don't. You cannot put it against your CPAS account. You have to use a new credit. It goes against your credit card. It's got to be new money, as it were. So Don is saying, basically, you know, if you keep on having onboard credit against your account, could you perpetually keep making bookings each cruise you go on? No, you can't do that. You have to keep you every, when you go to the next cruise. They're going to ask you, okay, which credit card do you want to place this against? There's the one that's obviously on your CPAS account. You can place that against or a different one, but it'll go immediately against that rather than onto your CPAS account, Don. So. Sorry, your little uh, strategy there may not work, but still get you on a cruise. So that's the important thing. Awesome. Well, thank you, Don. Thank you to everybody for this uh, listening to this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Of course, you can always send me your emails by sending an email to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.